my name is Stephen Mather, I'm an organisational psychologist and one of the hosts of Cool Hackers. This is the fourth in our mini-series of bonus episodes called The Psychology of Cults, where I dig deeper into how cults work from a psychological perspective. These episodes are scripted and you can read the full scripts on my Medium page. The theme of today's episode is Leadership of a Cult. Within secular organisations, management and leadership are perceived as being complementary but different parts of the job when you have responsibility for other people's performance. Management is defined in lots of ways, but it boils down to the utilisation of resources to achieve the organisation's goals. These resources include money, time, buildings, equipment and people, and so on. And good managers organise these resources efficiently and carefully to reduce waste and increase activity that adds value to the business. Management skills include the ability to organise things, plan and to develop and use systems effectively. So management is all about developing and using processes and systems to identify what needs to be done, how and when. Leadership, on the other hand, is about influencing people to follow your lead by creating a compelling vision for the future. Leadership skills include the ability to motivate and influence people to behave in a way that is in line with business goals, its culture and ways of doing things. So leadership involves those soft skills that build and maintain relationships with people. In business, organisations normally have a hierarchy which can be displayed as an organisation chart with the most authority at the top and gradually diminishing levels of authority as we come down the chart until we get to the team members. From an organisational perspective, the senior leadership team set the vision, determine the direction of the organisation, set expectations about behaviour and culture, and make decisions about where the focus needs to be. Great leaders are able to explain their vision in a compelling way so that the rest of the organisation understands clearly where they are going and want to go in the same direction. They are energised by the way the leader communicates, they are convinced that they are part of something good, they recognise a benefit to themselves by being part of the organisation and by working towards the vision. The effective leader can also be in a position of considerable power and therefore the potential for abuse of this power is very real. In secular organisations this can lead to illegal or unethical behaviour. Within cults and high control groups, this potential can be even greater. Cult leadership is often restricted to a single individual or an elite few whose power is considerable. Unlike businesses, there are often few checks and balances on the leadership's behaviour. Whereas a business may have to answer to the shareholders and legal entities within the country it operates, cult leaders, particularly of religious groups, tend to have more freedom to operate with impunity. Within organisational psychology, the concept of the charismatic or transformational leader has been studied extensively. Max Weber, a highly influential German sociologist, defined charisma as a certain quality of an individual personality by view of which he is set apart from ordinary men and treated as endowed with supernatural, superhuman or at least specifically exceptional powers or qualities. These are not accessible to the ordinary person 
but are regarded as of divine origin or as exemplary, and on the basis of the individual concerned is treated as a leader. From this we can see the religious underpinnings of this concept of charisma, which is still seen today in the language. For instance, we talk about charismatic churches. In the workplace, we tend not to overtly refer to leaders as being superhuman, but in many cults, the leader is seen as having either divine qualities of the divine nature, or at least as being the channel through which the divine speaks or instructs. For instance, within the Jehovah's Witness organisation, they claim that the leadership are brothers of Christ and that they are the only chosen avenue through which God speaks to his people can be seen as a claim to charismatic authority. Weber's definition also alludes to the fact that this certain quality can be difficult to pin down. We often say that some people have a certain something that's hard to describe, but that demands attention and respect. You know, they walk into the room and everyone notices. The scientific approach to organisational psychology has tried to do better than this, and one of my favourites is the use of self-concept theory to understand exactly what charismatic leadership is all about. There has also been some work done to identify the communication style of charismatic leaders, which I will also discuss. Self-concept theory starts from the premise that our concept of self, our understanding of who we are, is actually a hierarchy of social identities that are consistent and complementary. For instance, we may see ourselves as a caring person who is a parent, a partner, a friend, have certain political beliefs, a profession, and so on. These can be described as individual identities that sit together to form a sense of a rounded self. We feel much more at ease with ourselves if these different identities are in harmony or congruent with each other. When we sense that these different identities are not congruent, we may feel a lack of authenticity. In order to influence followers, the charismatic leader links the organisation's vision to the person's concept of self. This can be done openly and positively. For instance, by demonstrating the real good that an organisation does in helping people, perhaps a charity or a business that provides health care, the person is able to align being identified as working for this organisation with another key identity, that of being kind and helpful. A person who sees themselves as innovative and excited by new technology might feel good to be part of an organisation on the cutting edge of new technological developments. The charismatic leader is able to help the person align their self-concept with organisational goals and they therefore feel that to be part of this is to be doing something that is congruent, that aligns to their values or maybe is even their calling. They might comment that being a part of this team is part of who I am and allows me to express myself. It's easy to see how cult leaders can abuse this ability. By aligning people's natural, often admirable qualities of wanting to help people, wanting to improve the world, finding happiness, being a kind and good person, a cult leader can leverage the person's sense of self so it becomes tied up with the group, especially if the leader is lying about what the group actually does. 
as a Jehovah's Witness, my sense of self was very much tied up with being a witness. This is a relatively easy thing to do to someone born into the group, especially when young, because the construction of the self is done entirely within the framework of the group or organisation. It's also one of the reasons why leaving can be so difficult. Another way that self-concept theory relates to charismatic leaders is that individuals have a natural need to enhance and defend a sense of self-esteem. In other words, we're always on the lookout for anything that might help us feel valued and valuable. According to Shamir House and Arthur in a paper in 1993, this is based upon our sense of competence, power, achievement and the ability for us to cope with our environment. Charismatic leaders may offer the opportunity to enhance feelings of being important, valued, feeling powerful, being able to cope, etc. This is very attractive in a complex, sometimes confusing world where we endure many risks to our feelings of esteem. It also means that once in the group, the leader can leverage this need by being the main determinant of how much of this feeling of self-esteem we have at any time. In this way, they wield power over their followers, creating a sense of powerlessness and a need to cling to the only source of potential enhancement of self-esteem. According to researchers, Shamir, House and Arthur, charismatic leaders do this in five primary ways. Firstly, they communicate the value of the effort. Secondly, they demonstrate high expectations of the team. Also, they communicate the value of the goal. They create confidence in an optimistic future and finally generate personal commitment regardless of cost. So charismatic leaders link the value of the effort to the person's self-concept, their values and identities. I argue that whilst ethical leaders do this in a way that is healthy for the individual and is congruent with their existing sense of self, charismatic cult leaders leverage what might be initially natural self-concepts in such a way as to impose new identities onto the individual that are not in their own interests and are purely a way to progress the leader's agenda. Ethical leaders demonstrate high expectations and demonstrate confidence in the team. Cult leaders may also have high demands of the team, although they may or may not express confidence in their followers to reach them. Many religious groups stress concepts such as inherited sin, which can have the effect of making the person feel worthless and in constant need of forgiveness from the leader. Ethical, charismatic leaders create a sense of purpose through linking past, present and future goals. Cult leaders do something similar, but turn it up to 11 by creating an all-encompassing worldview that rewrites history in a way that suits the philosophy of the leader. Charismatic leaders create confidence in an optimistic future. Where ethical leaders paint a picture rooted in reality, cult leaders cook up fantastical futures where people can live forever in perfection or where they become like gods themselves. Finally, Charismatic leaders generate high levels of personal commitment regardless of cost. Again, it's easy to see how this might be exploited by unscrupulous cult leaders. As a Jehovah's Witness, I was encouraged and for the most part did commit myself and my efforts to furthering JW interests. 
A further perspective is the way that charismatic leaders signal certain things by the way they communicate. One of the most interesting researchers in this area is John Antonakis. His research suggests that charisma is values-based, symbolic and emotion-laden leader signalling, both verbal and non-verbal. He emphasises techniques such as the use of metaphor and the telling of stories as central to what makes us think an individual is a charismatic communicator. This is interesting because, as we know, many religious leaders use story and metaphor heavily in their teachings. Cult leaders may use charismatic teaching as a way to attract possible new recruits. Certainly, as a young Jehovah's Witness, I was trained to speak in a way that used metaphor and stories to bring the ideas to life. It was even part of my training at the Theocratic Ministry School, a JW program designed to produce effective speakers. I remember being a good speaker was the subject of much discussion. We would often critique the speaker of the Sunday public talk, for instance, and we would comment on qualities such as animation and the use of illustrations. As I think back to this now, I believe in many ways we were judging speakers on the basis of what I now know as charismatic communication. It's easy to see how many cults, especially small ones, revolve around the charismatic qualities of a single leader. However, if the group grows, then more than leadership is required. As the organisation grows, the need for management of its increasing resources becomes more important. It also needs to coordinate its efforts in whatever its key activities are. Normally these activities include things like raising funds and proselytising. For organisations such as Jehovah's Witnesses with its millions of members attending meetings, preaching, conducting studies, building halls and other facilities, a tremendous amount of management of resources are required. For Jehovah's Witnesses, the hierarchy is clear. The governing body are the leaders. They are assisted by helpers. Branch offices in regions manage nations' activities and these nations are split into circuits in which the congregations operate. Although they're not called managers, overseers fulfil that role at these various levels, with elders managing the interests at congregation level. Individual elders also operate in a leadership role within the congregation, some displaying charismatic qualities, as do some circuit overseers. In a subsequent discussion on cult leadership and management, I'll focus on the managerial aspects of cults and explore how they control and utilise their resources. But for now, that's it. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Cult Hackers. See you again next time.